You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio today. I've got uh, my good friend Graham Williams co-hosting with me this fine morning. Thanks for joining me. Always glad to be here. Got lots to talk about today. Uh, Huge issues with net neutrality down in the U.S. We've got uh, one of our friends from Open Media coming on the line to tell us what the implications are of that and what it could mean for Canadians uh, as well. Uh, we will also talk about uh, the IT side, the, the technical side of the whole Phoenix payroll scandal going on. Uh, so many public servants, uh, government uh, uh, employees not getting paid still. It's crazy. That's absolutely frustrating. I, I know that for some people it's in the tens of thousands of dollars at this point, and that's got to just be driving you crazy. Let's uh, talk about some of the uh, the news uh, out there. Uh, Kim.com is in the news again. Explain to our listeners who this crazy guy is. So Kim.com is a uh, New Zealand national who uh, has run a number of questionable sites, locker sites online. Uh, there was Mega.com at one point, uh, which... Uh, essentially was a site where you could upload your files and keep them securely. Uh, the FBI had a lot to say about that. They've seized his assets. They uh, put him under house arrest. And he's basically been this uh, this internet figure who has come out uh, in a lot of ways in the, in the way of uh, free speech and internet freedom and uh, is talking about uh, network protocols now. I thought he was in jail. Honestly, I, from day to day, I can't remember if he is or isn't in jail. I mean, it's uh, I th- I'm not sure if they've got him under house arrest right now, but uh, a lot of his money's locked up and he's trying to get it back. So what is he going to do now? So his idea here now is with net neutrality putting the internet at risk as we know it, and it is as serious as it sounds, he's suggesting that uh, we launch a non-IP-based new network that he's calling Meganet. So basically an internet to replace the internet uh, that would be under the control of no one, would not be centralized, and would allow people to connect to the network without people being able to control it. So essentially getting past the net neutrality argument. Kind of cool. Tesla is also in the news. They've been in a lot, uh, you know, uh, the news uh, with their new Roadster and huge truck. Now they have a giant battery in Australia. Yeah, so this was kind of an interesting project. Uh, Elon Musk has kind of floated this around with a few places. He'd mentioned it in Puerto Rico. Uh, and he said that if he could build this giant battery, if it took him longer than 100 days to do, it would be free. So sort of a put up or shut up sort of thing. And of course, Elon Musk, as he does, uh, delivered on time and under budget. So this is the biggest battery in the world, uh, powering a, you know, a massive swath of, of Australia uh, with the uh, massive, you know, by battery terms, uh, to, uh, to, to use this, this renewable energy source, solar supplied by battery. 100 megawatt power pack, and it's going to provide 30,000 homes with an emergency supply. Isn't and that crazy? Incredibly exciting. Like yeah. this, I mean, the renewable energy rush is, is here, right? It's hitting, and this is going to be for the next five to 10 years, this is the thing that's going to change the face of how we look at energy supply. And Tesla really is out of the forefront. Nobody else is doing what they're doing right now to, at the scope and scale that they're doing it. I'm going to be interested to see if they make it Yeah, in I, the long run. You know what? Honestly, I mean, I've said this before. Uh, you know, he's got the boring company. He's got uh, Tesla. He's got the solar company. He's got all of this stuff going on. He's not building for planet Earth. He's building for Mars. <laughs> I, I promise you. <laughs> What else we got in the tech news? Uh, what else do we have? Uh, on top of Tesla, we have um, a computer AI. And, you know, it sounds, sounds cool. We all like AI. Uh, it's a computer AI that has been programmed to behave and think like the Zodiac Killer in an effort to uh, track down who it was. We still don't know who the Zodiac Killer is. The interesting thing, though, is this, this computer, this AI called Caramel, has developed a weird hobby. It started writing poetry. 
Really? By itself? By itself. So, so. You, you give it a word and it will write a poem for you about this. And it's written some pretty creepy stuff, uh, which, I mean, you would imagine the Zodiac Killer would probably do. Like? So they, they, they asked her to come up with a poem on the topic of love. And uh, the, the word love gave us the poem, No longer contemplating suicide, to wait a moment on an old finale, singing songs of love and kiss the bride, sing a song about the sons of Sally. <laughs> that, is, that is so creepy that a computer wrote that. It's better poetry than I write. I'm not I know, lie. but it's it's kind, it's kind of freaking me out. I got to be honest. Yeah. So hopefully, in addition to writing poetry, Caramel will figure out who the Zodiac Killer is, and they can get that mystery locked away. Uh, big sales happening this weekend. Yeah. Uh, the Black Friday uh, sales uh, continuing uh, right through forever. <laughs> <laughs> Cyber Monday is coming up. I. I don't even know what the difference really is between Black Friday and Cyber Monday anymore. It's just, I think, another day that they haven't been able to sell all the stuff from Black Friday that they're going to be selling at Black Monday. I, I think that the big thing with uh, with Black Friday now is we have a lot of retailers standing there expecting people to rush through their doors, and instead people are actually shopping on their websites. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I went past a number of stores uh, this past week uh, during the, the, the Black Friday uh, events, you know, because they were, they were starting early in the morning and the stores aren't super busy. But my feed is full of people saying, hey, I bought this, I bought that, I bought this, I bought that. And uh, I think people are they're really turning to e-commerce. Who really wants to be waiting at two o'clock in the morning in the cold, in the rain or the snow to buy something when you can sit there in the warmth of your house and hopefully get one of the few that's allotted online? Did you go out and get any, anything? I actually, you know, I needed to upgrade my computer. So I, I actually did the, the classic thing. I bought a new processor, new RAM, new motherboard. Uh, I picked it up from a couple of different places online, and it's all going to be arriving fairly soon. I'm going to build myself a brand new PC. I'm excited. I bought a bunch of Google Homes. How's that for you? Uh, well, I, I haven't got them yet, but I, I have a Google Home now, and uh, I'm using it to control all the smart devices in my house, my lights and everything. So it uh, it's great, but I want to expand the reach of it, you know, up to my upstairs and the bedrooms and, and what have you. So I need more of them. So they've got the two models. They usually go for 170 170 bucks for the, the main one. And they've got the little Google Minis, which are usually about $80, but super sale this weekend if you can get your hands on one. Uh, the Google Home is on for like 99 bucks, And the Google Minis, $39. Wow. 40 bucks. That's not bad. I bought, yeah, I bought like five Google Minis because <laughs> I'm going to give them out as Christmas gifts as well. That's fantastic. See, I'm, I'm Apple HomeKit, so I'm, I was waiting for HomePod, but now HomePod's coming in like 2018. You know what I'm telling you? Get the Google. Uh, get the Google because it, it works with everything. It doesn't, Every, work, it doesn't work with my Lutron Caseta stuff, though. Make it work. <laughs> it doesn't work, eh? No. Yeah, it's 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 a HomeKit based uh, based thing. I don't I don't know how these HomeKit guys can survive. Like Elgato yeah. is another company that just makes HomeKit connected products, and it's frustrating. They got cool stuff, but the world is going Amazon and Echo on on, on a lot of that. But you've got a lot of guys like me who are and like Google. like I need an eleven foot barge pole to touch that kind of thing. So yeah, I'll stick with it and I'll wait. You know, it's it's curious because. <laughs> Actually, I've got a I've got an Amazon Echo Dot on the way to tie into my Sonos system. Oh yeah, which is you know that's be, that's kind of that the halfway measure until I can get my HomePod, which hopefully will again connect with Sonos because my whole house is wired for sound with Sonos. Yeah, so is mine. Yeah, so fingers but, crossed on that. Yeah, I don't. Do you think Apple's late to the game? Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, you know I mean they've been late to the game on a lot of things in the past. They were super late to the game on the on the tablet market. You know Microsoft was there seven eight years in advance. I know, and but then, they they hadn't made any headway. Yeah, and but, then it became 
you know, an iPad market. I know, but I think it's different now. Uh, I think Amazon is killing it, and Google with their Google Home is doing well. Yeah, I think that I mean, especially when they blow them out at half price. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. You know, because I mean, HomePod's gonna be what four hundred, five hundred bucks Canadian. Yeah, but you so. know, it's all about the ecosystems, right? Yeah, like they can afford to give these things away at cost because. Google wants you to use their world and their search, right? Because they make money on all the advertising. Uh, and Amazon wants you to use their Amazon Echo speakers uh, because they're Amazon. You buy stuff and you can tell it, hey, send me some Cheerios. Amazon's getting very, very good at predicting what it thinks I need. I know. I hate it. Yeah, it's a, it's a little creepy. And it, you know what? It's bad. Mm. Um, I have, I'm doing Christmas shopping on it. And so now when anyone uses the kitchen computer, they can see all the things that I've been looking at. You've got to got to incognito tab that. I know. Every time. God. <laughs> we have so much to talk about on today's program. We're going to be talking about the Phoenix payroll system, uh, where we're at with that from a technical standpoint. We'll also be talking with one of our friends at London Drugs on uh, Black Friday weekend deals. And uh, next up, all about net neutrality. And it's an important segment that you need to listen to because there's some big stuff happening in the U.S. They want to do away with it and... I, I really feel strongly it is a bad thing for the internet, and I'm concerned what it means not only down in the U.S., but for Canada as well. We've got someone from Open Media coming on the line to tell us their thoughts uh, and uh, what's going to happen potentially. You're listening to Get Connected. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio with uh, my co-host, uh, Graham Williams. I want to talk about something very important right now, uh, Big news brewing up in the U.S. about net neutrality, and I think it's something that we all need to be concerned about. Graham, uh, maybe just give a, a quick overview. So essentially, a few years ago, um, the uh, utilities, sorry, the uh, ISPs in the, in the United States were uh, deemed as Title II, so essentially set out as utilities. And so the idea here is that they're not allowed to discriminate against the different types of traffic uh, that they have coming through them. So essentially your uh, video game download is the same as somebody who is streaming Netflix, Netflix is the same as somebody who is having a FaceTime conversation, is the same as someone who's streaming music. And you can't prioritize based on the different types of traffic. Uh, the ISPs really uh, at this point are looking to uh, remove that. They want to be able to sell you different types of uh, packages so that you can Pay more, for example, if you want to game faster. Yeah, you, want to, you can pay more if you want to uh, stream uh, higher uh, resolution, higher definition stuff. So instead of essentially being able to use your internet pipe the way that you want to, using the full speed of it at all times, they're going to speed things up and slow things down so that they can charge you more. On the line, we've uh, got Cynthia Koo. She's uh, external legal counsel for Open Media. Thanks for joining us, Cynthia. Thanks very much for having me. Wanted to bring you on because uh, you have been involved uh, with the whole net neutrality, uh, I guess, debate up in Canada. Uh, are you concerned about what's happening in the U.S.? I'm very concerned about what's happening in the U.S., not just for the United States itself and all the Internet users there, but because due to the United States' political power, due to all the relationships between Canada and the states, it could have a very real impact on us up here as well. It's kind of scary because when I, I look at the U.S. and the Internet, they kind of... They almost kind of control the internet, don't they? Uh, yes, I think that would be fair to say in a lot of ways. And so how can this affect Canada if this all goes through? Well, how can this affect Canada is there's two main ways right off the bat. So just for context, right now, the internet is a level playing field, generally speaking. You don't need to be rich or to be able to, it's not a pay for play system. If you put content online, it can reach anyone equally. So what 
this rollback would do is turn the internet into a pay-for-play system where if you want your content, your business to reach your customers or your fans, you now have to basically pony up for it. So how that would attack us in Canada is in two ways. The first way is if you're a Canadian business or a Canadian artist or a creator and you're trying to reach internet users in the United States, whether they're fans or customers um, or political groups, for instance, that is now harder for you because the default is that everyone's in the slow lane in the United States unless you can afford to pay to be in the fast lane. And so how many Canadian businesses are going to be going to pay Verizon or pay Comcast, for instance, so they can reach their subscribers on an equal basis? So that's the first way. The second way is the converse of that. If we're the fans, we're the customers of U.S. businesses. So think of all the customer, all the businesses, all the shows, all the entertainment that are based in the United States that we access online. Now they will have to pay more to ensure that their traffic doesn't get throttled or doesn't end up in the slowing in order to reach us. And so you get it at both ends, basically. Um. What are some examples of uh, the stuff that you've been trying to um, combat up here in Canada with some of the uh, the internet providers up here? Sure. So with the providers up here, it's been a little bit more, I guess, uh, less 101 issues because with this net neutrality order in the United States, they, they really just um, threw a grenade into the fundamental law underlying net neutrality. <laughs> Whereas here, we still have that fundamental law. But what we've seen over the past years is them trying to uh, engage in this practice called zero rating, where they are still prioritizing content in different ways, in a slightly different way, but you still end up with the final result of content being treated unequally, depending on your relationship with the provider. So, for example, we saw the Bell Mobility issue in... 2014, I believe, when they were prioritizing Bell Media content over Netflix's content, for example. So you could pay a certain amount of money to watch unlimited um, Bell Media content on your mobile phone, but and it wouldn't count towards your data. But if you were to watch Netflix, the same amount of data is flowing through your phone. It's still the same content, still the same data on the technical level flowing through the pipes, but you're paying eight times more. And so, so what that does is it's an anti-competitive practice that will persuade users potentially to, to watch more Bell Media than Netflix than they might otherwise, purely due to the pricing as opposed to the merits of the content itself. And so a lot of people say, well, that's not a big deal. Netflix, they're a big player. You know, they can duke it out. But it affects the little guys that are trying to start up, really, doesn't it? Exactly. That's very true. And so something that we've seen, especially in the United States, is this rhetoric of people who are opposed to net neutrality. They'll say, well, this is really just business, big business fighting each other. It's kind of big telecom versus big internet. When really that's not the case at all. Sure, some Netflix and Google, which interestingly, you saw a lot more stronger enthusiastic support from them when they were the smaller guys for net neutrality. And now that they're bigger, they can afford to be a little bit more ambivalent because they can afford to whatever happens they'll be fine so it really is the net netflix that we have to worry about or the platform that will come after google because they will not be they won't have the same open environment to grow up in that netflix and google had if this goes through but it's going to go through isn't it 
It will. Well, it seems like it's very, very likely to. So the vote is December 14th. However, we've seen a really astonishing and impressive groundswell of protests from the United States. Um, so, for instance, the day the draft order came out, if you went on to Reddit, the front page, every single top thread was about net neutrality, regardless of what the Reddit page itself was about or what the subreddit was about, they were all talking about net neutrality and this order and how terrible it was. Um, there's a website called battleforthenet.com where they're trying to drive calls to Congress, and there were t- over 200,000 calls within one day alone. So people are really worried about this, and it's across the political spectrum too. So some people are trying to position it as a political fight, but to a certain extent because of pie and Trump and everything. But if there were polls showing that Almost 80% of Americans support net neutrality, including 73% of Republicans. So it's really across the political spectrum because it doesn't matter what your politics are. You want equal access to the Internet and to be able to have your voice heard. So if people are worried about this, I would highly, highly encourage them, if they're American, to call their congressperson. Or if they know people in the States, friends or family, to encourage them to call their congressperson. Because right now, that's where the buck stops. Congress has the power to stop the FCC from doing this on December 14th. We're talking with our friend uh, from Open Media right now, all about net neutrality. Uh, big uh, big issues happening down in the U.S. right now. Cynthia Koo, I guess people can also check out Open Media to get more info. Absolutely, yes openmedia.org because we're involved in that as well and definitely hoping to assist our friends in the United States but also for people who are looking forward and are concerned about us here in Canada something we should note is that our telecommunications act and broadcasting acts are being opened up for review in 2018 the federal government has announced this and so if people are concerned about net neutrality that this is where it might be up for grabs again up here in Canada. So this is something that's happening in 2018, and the federal government has been really good on this issue so far, but we just want to make sure that when they overhaul our communication system, which seems like what they'll be doing, that they really keep the Internet and the open Internet and the net neutrality principle at the front and center of that. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. When we come back, lots more to talk about. We'll talk about the uh, Phoenix payroll system and also some uh, gift ideas uh, for tech lovers for the holidays. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. want to talk about uh, technology when it comes to the government now, and maybe not in a good way. On the line, we have Brian Jackson from IT World Canada. Brian, I wanted to bring you on to talk about the Phoenix payroll system, which just keeps getting bad news upon bad news. What, where, are, where are we at now? Yeah, I mean, it is a real boondoggle in terms of government IT projects. In fact, in Canada, the Phoenix payroll project has almost just become synonymous with um, an IT project gone wrong. And, you know, it seems like every time we hear about uh, this project, things are getting worse, not better. And unfortunately, that's the case with this latest Auditor's General report into uh, the whole matter. So, um, you know, earlier this week, we saw the Auditor General come out with uh, a number of reports. Uh, the, the office does their fall release on what uh, the government could do, could be doing better, right? This is the sort of third-party look into a number of different government files that that aren't going well, and and Phoenix was one of those this year. So um, it was bad news. I mean, 
the department that was responsible for this payroll system, and this, you know, just for some context here, Mike, this is the payroll system that's responsible for fulfilling the federal government salaries of uh, all of its employees. That's a $22 billion payroll. So it's a very complicated, massive nationwide system uh, that has to work. But uh, unfortunately, it's it's not working very well at all. In fact, more um, payments being made are being made incorrectly than they are correctly, if you can believe that. The Auditor General determined that in, in the spring, 51, you know, you, picked a, you pick a day, and 51% of the payments uh, on that day were, were not filled correctly. So the department that um, was responsible for, for this uh, payroll system thought that they could spend uh, more than half a billion dollars over three years to fix the problems related to Phoenix, which, which already sounds like a lot, but the Auditor General says that is not going to do it. It's going to take longer than that. You're going to have to spend more money just to fix uh, the system that's paying government employees. Why, does, why do these government IT projects go off the rails? That is a great question, and really, if you could figure it out, <laughs> you could solve a lot of problems for the government. But I think if I were to try and guess what what might have gone wrong here, um, you know, there there was uh, a systems implementer in IBM involved in this project, and they were putting in place uh, open text software. Now. You know, IBM, uh, they were involved at first, and then they implemented the system. And then in their proposal to uh, the government, this Public Services and Procurement Canada Department, right, they would have um, stayed on and trained government workers on how to use it, ensured the migration of data from the old payroll system to the new one, and done any number of activities that you would expect uh, like a specialized talent and solution provider to uh, do in a big enterprise uh, IT migration like this. But the government um, didn't opt for that. They decided that they would try and do all of these training and migration uh, tasks themselves and I think that is really the source of where things started to go wrong with this and that maybe um, the internal IT staff was, was too busy, not uh, trained uh, well enough in, in this regard. Uh, so they just didn't even understand the scope of the problems, let alone what it would take to fix them. I mean, there... <sighs> It looks like failures on, on many different levels. Uh, would you look at IBM at, at fault here? Is it more government? I mean, I would say that um, you, we don't know enough uh, yeah. to to point the finger. I, I wouldn't want to fault IBM because, again, they, they came in and maybe they were uh, involved at first, right, as an implementer, as they are on, on many government contracts, but it, it's a bit unclear as uh, you know, whether they were the ones that uh, could have been doing a better job of implementing this, I, I think really the the government could have worked better with IBM, and there's probably more opportunity to be more involved with them and, and keep them on longer. And, and I think what happens is that often when uh, policymakers, you know, not 
public service uh, workers, but policymakers are looking at these budgets and and wanting to save uh, public money and, and cut to the bottom line. They say, oh well, why would we want to pay external? consultants and workers to come in when we already have government employees that do that, but they don't consider what, what it really takes for a complicated system like this, and when, when, especially when you're introducing something new and you have new processes uh, that you have to adapt to and uh, software that calls for specialized talent to implement it. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, I guess a lot of people don't realize in these big companies and governments, you know, there's like CIOs and, and what have you, chief information officers and chief technical officers. Uh, it takes strong leadership to get some of these big uh, programs uh, and projects across the finish line without obviously being disastrous. Yeah, it takes strong leadership because really you have to be able to commit to change on every level of an organization. And uh, this Miramachi Pay Center that is uh, orchestrating the whole Phoenix payroll system, I mean, they just haven't even been able to get a grip on exactly what the problem is. And that's what, what the Auditor's General report is driving at here. They say that uh, problems weren't recognized early enough. And now what has to happen is uh, this department uh, has to go back to the drawing board and uh, do a full, you know, under, you know, do a full look at all of the pay requests that are outstanding, all of the errors, and put in place a, a governance structure that will be able to address all of the problems related to this system. Well, I guess only time will tell on how many more millions are <laughs> going to be poured yeah, uh, into this. <laughs> I mean, just to, it's interesting because. The Auditors General also pointed to Australia, and um, you know it, this might make us feel a bit better. Not that I, it, it improves the situation, but there's a Queensland State Department in Australia that has had a similar IT boondoggle, where they've spent 1.2 billion dollars over eight years to fix um, problems with their payroll system. So it just goes to show you that. Um, you know, these government ITT uh, projects just can uh, get off the rails. Well, hopefully other countries will be able to learn from our mistakes because it looks like we're still uh, in the middle of this. Yeah, absolutely. And and hopefully now that the AG has uh, put out this report, um, you know, Public Services Procurement Canada uh, does the right thing, follows the recommendations, and starts to find their way out of it. Talking with Brian Jackson from IT World Canada about the uh, Phoenix payroll system from uh, an IT perspective. When we come back from the break, we're going to be talking with uh, one of our friends over at London Drugs about some of the awesome sales uh, opportunities that are happening here over this weekend. Black Friday still continuing uh, into Cyber Monday here, so there's lots of great tech deals uh, that are available. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Still lots more to talk about on today's program. But let's talk about Christmas, especially for the tech lovers out there. We've uh, got Julian Sanders on the line from London Drugs. Hey, Julian. Hey, how's it going? Great. Uh, wanted to see this week uh, what kind of tech gifts you could recommend to our listeners. Uh, and let's uh, go on the wearables uh, theme. Obviously, that's a very hot category with uh, you know the different Fitbits and Apple Watches. Uh, tell us uh, some, some hot stuff to look for. 
Well, one of the newest ones is the Fitbit uh, Ionic. It's the new mod, newest model from Fitbit, and it's got a couple of features that everybody's kind of been uh, on the uh, like waiting for for quite a while, including smartphone notifications. So not only can it do all your health tracking, it has a pure pulse heart rate monitor, uh, but it can also let you know when you get a text message or phone call, and um, uh, and then you can pull out your phone and answer it. So it's giving you the comparable features that you've been looking for in the Fitbit lineup, including smartphone tracking. Well, this is great because now it can monitor the stress you have while you're taking that call from work, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> It can actually also track how long you're on the phone for, which for some people is, uh, you know, billable time. Uh, oh, they also have, uh, that one's a, a little bit more. It's uh, $399 uh, is the retail on the Ionic. And uh, you can go down to about $100 and get a, uh, get a decent uh, Fitbit One or a, even a Fitbit charcoal still. And those are the little clips that you can put on. And uh, they, they now have at least a uh, Find My Fitbit feature where if you misplace it, it'll beep uh, and find it over Bluetooth. But uh, if you're looking for the basic motion tracking, uh, somebody may be just getting into um, exercise and they maybe have missed it last Christmas season, uh, there's a few different Fitbits that you can either wear or clip uh, for around $100. And you, that's a great place to start, really. Uh, and, you know, it's all about kind of tracking and, and reporting back to you, uh, you know, how many steps, for example, you're taking uh, a day. I mean, they might not be 100% accurate, but it kind of gives you a general overall sense of, you know, how much exercise you're, you're getting. For sure. And it tracks your motion all day. So if you wear the motion tracker at night, it'll even uh, take an estimate as to how restless your sleep is. Um, that's one of the features that Timex actually has. Uh, Timex, the brand that everybody knows and loves for the watches that take a licking uh, and keep on ticking. Uh, they also have motion tracking fashion watches available uh, for around that $100 price point. We've got a few on uh, that are regular $195 on a permanent sale for $129. Lots of different models, and they have a little uh, dial instead. They're not a digital display like the Fitbits are. They have a you know, more traditional watch look, but hiding on the dials is a step counter, and then there's also a Bluetooth feature where it can capture a bunch of health data and then send it to your smartphone. So if you're looking for something, maybe not wanting the very high-tech looking watch, the Timex guys actually have a few out there um, that look like regular watches, but also have motion tracking. I, I love that, because not everyone wants to look like a spaceman, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to track their uh, fitness. So it's kind of nice to have the, uh, the old analog style, isn't it? Oh, exactly. Yeah. And, and it also, uh, they tend to be very durable products. So you tend to buy one and they last a very, very long time. Um, I myself have had one of the first uh, Timexes uh, with motion tracking on my wrist for more than three years, trouble free. Um, other than charging it up uh, once a week, I have had no uh, lick of an issue with it. There's also a bunch of people into running. I don't know. Are you one of those uh, kind of runners, Mike, that want to know exactly your route or maybe uh, do you bike? Um should I run and bike more? Yes, I aspire to, and you know I'm not really running from anything right now. So uh, yes, I, I I think I should run more. It's it's in my future. Yeah, me too. I I, uh, I like that the uh, the new newest generation of motion trackers, kind of the higher end ones, like the Fitbit uh, for three ninety nine, has GPS built in it, so it can actually remember where you were. You can actually say, Hey, I'm starting a run. <laughs> It tracks how fast you go and where you went. So then you can plan your routes better. Maybe you, you uh, want to go where there's more hills, less hills. 
it gives you all the data that you need, including heart rate, um, in order to refine yourself as a runner uh, or a biker. And it's kind of handy because you can share it online, too. So then you can brag about your progress to all your friends and they can tease you. It'd be great for people that party too much as well. Uh, you know, if you lose your pants during the, the night, you can actually go back and look at the data and retrace your steps. Well, there is the spot GPS, so if that happens to you frequently, you might want to put a spot in your pocket, and then you can locate it anywhere. <laughs> it's, uh, you can use it for SOS calls even, you know, if you've got an emergency when you're hiking. So it's got a few different purposes, not just for finding your pants. Uh, really, it's got an SOS feature. <laughs> yeah, the, the GPS spot's been around for a while. It's a little self-contained box, and uh, it's great for the, uh, the outdoorsy-like people that go off-road and uh, it, it can literally phone the emergency help network through uh, two buttons. So if you've got a distress problem, you're in the middle of nowhere, you can still try to get a beacon out to the authorities. Uh, there's also a few different uh, ways to do that with uh, Magellan GPSs now and Garmin GPSs. Um, uh, the other one that a lot of people uh, get at Christmas is a new GPS with uh, dash cams built in. Not really a wearable, but uh, it, they're uh, very similar people buy those because they like having the uh, dash cam, I guess, when they're running the marathon. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not into the, the dash cam stuff myself, but it's kind of nice to have that as, uh, as an option. Talking with Julian Sanders from London Drugs about uh, wearables uh, as uh, tech gift uh, ideas uh, for the listeners uh, out there. Obviously, people can go in store and uh, check it out online, Julian. You got it. Yep, LondonDrugs.com is available for you all the time, or pop in to see one of the LD nerds. When we come back, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo here in studio. It's that time of the week. We've got Christina here with her app of the week. What do you got? I have a new app that will allow you to play a live trivia game. Ooh, I like this. Every day at 3 p.m. and 9 p.m. EST. Love it. So how does this work? Uh, it's called HQ Trivia. It's from the makers of Vine. Do you remember Vine, Mike? Yes, in the old days. Yeah, six-second videos. Yes. Anyway, Vine no longer exists, but HQ Trivia does, and it's fantastic. So it's available on iOS devices, and it's a free download. And every day at 3 and 9 EST, you join all the other players who are using the app, and it's a live trivia show. It was like trivia night at the pub. That's right. But now you don't have to see people. (laughs) (laughs) Right up your alley. A loner in your basement. (laughs) Right up your alley, right, Mike? I got to be honest. I love trivia. I I, I, I love trivia too. Yes. And this is actually sounds like a cool thing. So it's free? It is free. So it's 12 questions over about 15 minutes and you get three multiple choice answers to choose from. And it's time limited, so you won't have enough time to cheat and Google the answer. And the best part is if you answer all of the questions correctly, you are eligible to win an actual cash prize. So there is a cash prize pool that they divide among all of the winners. How do they make money? Um, So it's interesting. I was actually reading up on this because that was my first question. They're currently venture backed. So uh, I guess the, you know, venture capital firm is contributing to this cash prize setup. 
but obviously that's going to run out at some point. So it sounds like they are talking to some brands about weaving the whole marketing <laughs> the, side the, of things. The in. trivia will, what's your favorite Banana Republic? <laughs> uh, they have said that they are uh, doing it. They're going to be doing it in such a way that it does not take away from the user experience. But we'll have to see what it all looks like once it's all said and done. Looks like that's all the time we have left for Get Connected. Don't forget to tune in to our app show. Uh, It's a radio program about, you guessed it, apps for tablets, smartphones, and smart TVs. All the latest and greatest. You can tune in to that on Sundays at 10 a.m. Vancouver time here on CKW 980. And it's available on a number of other stations across the country as well. So check your local listings. This is Mike Graham and Christina Loganoff. We'll see you again next time.